0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Washington, D.C. is a city of monuments. There are statues, markers, and even whole buildings dedicated to important moments or important people in American history. Many of these monuments are arranged in and around the area known as the National Mall. Two of the most important structures in this complex are the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. Dedicated to the honor and memory of the first American president, the Washington Monument is a stone spire that rises more than 500 feet tall. In fact, it is the tallest structure in Washington, D.C. Directly across from the Washington Monument is the Lincoln Memorial, honoring the man who was president during the American Civil War. Inside the columned hall is a massive statue of Abraham Lincoln, and on the walls are inscribed some of his most important words, including the text of the Gettysburg Address. But something is missing from both of these monuments, the presence of the men themselves. Neither man saw their monuments completed. Neither man is buried at the site of their memorial. But most of all, the location where these monuments sit has nothing to do with why they were important figures in American history. These monuments, as impressive as they are, cannot be physically connected to the men they honor. But on the massive steps of the Lincoln Memorial is another marker. On the 18th step from the top is another inscription. Compared to the huge marble statue of Lincoln, this memorial is tiny, only a few feet square. Carved into the stone step, the inscription begins with the words, I have a dream. This memorial marks the exact spot where on August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his most famous speech, a speech that helped shape American history. And unlike the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial, a visitor can stand in the exact spot where this important historical figure stood. The personal connection is there. While the history of Washington, D.C. goes back only 200 years, The history of Athens, Greece, stretches back for thousands of years. In that ancient city is a rock outcropping with very steep sides. In a city that was famous for its philosophers and thinkers, this stone outcrop served as a gathering place to hear and discuss new ideas. The Greeks called it the Areopagus, but it is more often referred to by its Roman name, Mars Hill. It was there, on Mars Hill, that Paul the Apostle introduced Athens to ideas that were changing the world. We discussed in earlier podcasts about the importance of finding the clear intersections of history and the Bible story. We also talked about how Luke wrote a carefully investigated account of the story of Jesus and of the early Christians to a man named Theophilus. Included as a part of that account is Paul's speech on Mars Hill. This is a place that all of those elements come together in one location, history, geography, and Luke's account, to put us there, on that hill, to hear what Paul had to say. The speech was not long, but was full of information and ideas that were radical and unique to the audience there in Athens. This was a speech delivered to a very mixed audience, Some were excited to hear this traveler and teacher, while others already were mocking and skeptical. In fact, Luke tells us that at the end of the speech, some sneered at his words, while others were intrigued and wanted to hear more of what he had to say. This is one of the elements of Luke's writing that shows its accuracy and integrity. We talked about how Luke gets the geography right, but he also gets the politics and the elements of human nature right. Some people ridicule and mock. Some people, when their livelihood is threatened, resort to violence. Politicians want bribes. Soldiers want to stay out of trouble. Others seek fame and recognition. All of these elements of human behavior are a part of Luke's account. He is not writing a propaganda piece where everyone was nice and everyone believed. He wrote what happened and how it happened, good or bad. This should be another reason to trust his account. So, while some wanted to hear, others mocked. The same is true of the Bible story today. Some have dismissed it without even a careful hearing, while others are willing to remain open-minded and learn more. In some ways, that is one of the key ideas in Paul's speech itself. From the top of Mars Hill, Paul had a panoramic view of the whole city. He begins by saying that as he looked around, he had noticed that Athens was full of temples of all kinds and that the people were preoccupied with talks of gods and idols. Paul told them that as he was looking around, he saw a temple with this inscription, To an unknown god. At the time, the people of Athens believed that gods and demons lived in almost everything. There were gods of the wind and of the trees and the water, and the animals. Each needed to be fed or honored in some way, or bad things might happen. In such a system where hundreds of deities impacted your life, what if you forgot one? It might get angry if neglected, so they had the temple for the God that had been overlooked or unknown. Paul seized on this idea and says, Let me tell you about the God you have never met. In 2015, the New Horizons spacecraft began its approach to the dwarf planet Pluto. Before the New Horizons mission, the only pictures taken of Pluto were fuzzy and contained very little detail. For decades, scientists had spoken with great confidence about the makeup of the little planet and what its surface would look like. As the pictures from New Horizons began to slowly arrive from 5 billion miles away, it was clear that all of the assumptions and speculations were wrong. They were truly meeting the real Pluto for the first time. Like the first photos arriving from deep space, Paul tells these Greek philosophers that their speculations and assumptions about God have been wrong and that he wanted to introduce them to the true God of heaven. The first key idea Paul gave them was that man did not make God, But God made man. This has huge implications. God cannot be housed in a temple made by man. He says later in the speech that we cannot shape or mold the divine by our wisdom or skill. This has more to it than simply putting God inside a building, but confining and constraining him by man's thinking. Some believe that the highest expression of truth is man's logic and experience. Yet we spoke a moment ago about a planet, known to exist, but unknown in detail. Very smart and famous people speculated on what Pluto would be like, and every one of them was wrong. Yet very smart and famous people want to speculate about the nature and wisdom of God, and it is assumed they are right. But it is Paul that gives us a clearer picture of God's nature and even his desire. Speaking of God's desire, Paul says later in the speech that God desires, well, you and me. But it is a very old mistake to see this desire as weakness. This is one of the elements common in the pagan religions. The thinking was, man got hungry, so God must get hungry but that is mistaken and dangerous reasoning. Paul says very clearly that God does not need anything from man. We cannot try to engage in spiritual commerce, buying and selling favors with God. Paul says that if God made humankind, then all of humankind are related and are equal. This statement is remarkable for a number of reasons. We see this kind of thinking as common today, but was unknown at the time Paul said this. Social revolutions take time and have many grandparents. The Declaration of Independence stated that all men are created equal. But that statement has its roots in documents like the Magna Carta, a document that was written more than 500 years before. Those ideas and values took time to develop and mature. But Paul makes that statement without centuries of political or social thought behind it. The reason is he's not making a political statement, but a spiritual one. He says we all need God, no matter who we are. And the radical nature of this idea did not come from Paul's thinking, but from the truth about the God of heaven, the God these philosophers were meeting for the first time. Another idea Paul discusses is the basic truth that man has been seeking for God. The city of Athens that was filled with temples was proof of that. But even today that can be seen. Every ancient culture discovered and studied has left evidence of some type of religion. Huge temples and worship structures, some thousands of years old, are being uncovered every year. But those religions and philosophies failed and became extinct, lost in time. Yet the story of Jesus has remained, lasting from the moment it was first told to this very day. It has been attacked and persecuted, but has not faded from sight. There is something different about this story, and this is the very point Paul is making in his speech. Paul makes what may be his most radical statement of the speech. Let me read this part to you just as he said it. He has fixed a day in which God will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In this statement, Paul uses a very dangerous idea. The translation read uses the word proof, while other translations use words like evidence or assurance. But the idea is still there. There is proof that what Paul has just said about God, his nature, his desire, his power, it is all true. You often hear people use the term blind faith. That statement means that logic and reason have no place in the discussion of God, heaven, eternity, or salvation. Paul says here that such thinking belongs with the pagan philosophers in Athens. They had no proof, just speculation. But the God Paul is describing has furnished evidence. He has furnished proof. The nature of that proof is even more radical. Paul says that the proof he is talking about is that God raised his appointed one from the dead. Now, we could talk about the nature of the proof itself. The eyewitnesses. The detractors that actually add to the evidence, the historic record, and the later actions of those involved all provide evidence of a unique event in human history. But before any of that, we need to understand what Paul is saying here. Paul says that if you ask the question, is this story true, the place where you need to go to find the answer is there in the garden, early in the morning, and looking inside the empty tomb. Because if the story of the returned life of Jesus is true, then all of it is true. The story of the God of heaven is true. The love of God is true. The power of God is true. The hope of life is true. All of it is true. With an unflinching stare, Paul challenges those that stood that day on Mars Hill to ask the question, Is it true? No other place, no other event, can truly answer that question. Many have sought the answer, but looked in the wrong places. Paul tells these people to turn and look at that day. Paul says here is where you go. Make your choice here. What is that proof? We will discuss that in future podcasts. But Paul is inviting you to see and learn about the God you have never met before. A God of truth and power that far exceeds the thoughts and limitations of man. A God of compassion and love that is seeking you to learn and know him. A God that has placed a marker in history. A place for you to ask the hard question, Is it true? Are you willing to stand there, make that personal connection, and see for yourself? The place is clear. Are you willing to stand and look? thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want additional information, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on our website at truthseekers.org. That's truthseekers.org.